The Pro Bono Happy Hour is brought to you by the Pro Bono Institute. PBI is a nonprofit organization that supports, enhances, and transforms the pro bono efforts of major law firms, in-house corporate legal departments, and public interest organizations in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm your host, Nihad Mansoor. I recently joined PBI as the assistant director of the law firm Pro Bono Project. Today's podcast is all about global pro bono and a resource, a survey of pro bono practices and opportunities in 84 jurisdictions that was recently updated, produced by Latham and Watkins with the support of PBI. The aim of this survey is to make information about global pro bono legal services more accessible. The survey first carried out in 2005 updated in 2010, 2012, 2015, and again in 2019, is a part of an ongoing effort to promote and stimulate the growth of pro bono representation globally. It serves as an introductory resource for those seeking to engage or learn more about the culture and provision of pro bono in their country or other countries around the world. Today, I'm speaking with Wendy Atrikoff, Public Service Counsel and Director of Global Pro Bono at Latham, and Harry Redford, an associate at Latham's London office. Wendy and Harry have worked closely on the Global Pro Bono Survey over the years. There are so many barriers to doing pro bono, and having to read an overwhelming amount of pages just to find the information you need can be a barrier in itself. This global survey presents information in a streamlined and digestible way on a microsite, lw.com gpbs, making it easy to find key information about the pro bono landscape of a certain country. I wanted to know more about how the survey was being used out in the field, so I asked Harry and Wendy about what they felt like the real value of the survey was. It seems that the survey is primarily used as a starting point by law firms and in-house legal teams that are expanding into new jurisdictions and just looking to get a basic understanding and orient themselves on local pro bono culture, resources and opportunities uh, in particular jurisdictions. In some cases, I think the survey may lead them to public interest clearinghouses and pro bono referral sources where where they exist. But in other cases, it may just alert people to the fact that pro bono may not be very developed in a particular jurisdiction where interested lawyers would really need to chart their own course. So it prevents um, users from spinning their wheels and trying to find something that isn't there, which in and of itself can be helpful. We understand that different groups are also using the survey to explore cross-border work and finding ways to support pro bono efforts in countries where they may not necessarily have operations. And so um, it's just been interesting to see the different ways that it's been used. And the other benefit has been building up this, this big network of local lawyers and law firms that we partner with on the survey that enable us essentially to cover so many jurisdictions um, and to report on places where we don't have operations. And so these local uh, colleagues contribute their time on a pro bono basis, and they also gain perspective on how pro bono in their countries is evolving relative to other places. So it's just been interesting to see the different ways that it's been used and and the effect that it's had in, in, in different jurisdictions. The history of the survey dates back 15 years to 2005, when PBI's late founder and president, Esther Lardent, approached Latham to take on the first pro bono global survey. The pro bono landscape at the time was a lot different, and the pro bono culture was a new one. 
when we first took on the survey 15 years ago, it was a time when we were really rapidly expanding our global footprint. And as part of this, we were eager to develop our pro bono practices in these new locations and really just promote greater understanding of what pro bono is, its importance within our firm culture, its relevance to the legal profession, and just the unique opportunity it offers to engage more deeply in each of our communities. Uh, pro bono at Latham is very decentralized. We adhere to the uh, pro bono institute definition of what qualifies worldwide, but we've always provided a lot of autonomy to our local colleagues in pursuing new opportunities, uh, pro bono opportunities, because we just want to make sure that we're aligning our efforts in a way that's meeting the different needs in our different communities. At the beginning, the survey, at least in part, was a way for us to really dig in and try and understand the pro bono landscape in many of the European countries where we were opening our doors. I don't think Esther Lardent or any of us at that time would have expected that the document would live on and evolve how it has in the last 15 years, but it has evolved. And the reason I think that we've made such a significant investment of resources in undertaking regular updates and expanding the, the survey to cover so many jurisdictions is really because of the feedback that we and PBI regularly receive about how widely used it is by the legal community as they seek to expand their pro bono activity. We expanded pretty significantly, um, initially primarily in Europe, where we opened up offices in France, Belgium, Italy, Spain. Uh, we opened four offices in Germany. We then moved over and opened offices in the Middle East, and we were also growing in Asia. And when you grow in this way, there's always um, a focus on really ensuring that each new office reflects our one firm culture and our firm values, while also respecting local customs. And when it came to pro bono engagement, I think at that time the concept was pretty pretty new across most of these jurisdictions. But as we were growing, we, re we really found that it was something that um, touched on ideals and values that are very much universal. And because of this, we found that our attorneys in Europe and Asia, um, throughout the Middle East, all came to pro bono very naturally with a lot of enthusiasm. And ultimately, um, it proved to be a very powerful and cohesive aspect of our firm culture as we were expanding. Our colleagues were eager to get involved to support great causes and those in need and to engage in, in their communities in the way that pro bono allows you to do. But more than that, they also wanted to be seen as team players who were contributing to something that was important to our firm as a whole. So there was definitely desire there for sure as we were expanding but what we also found at that time is that desire by itself wasn't enough. You actually need a steady, reliable pipeline of qualified pro bono matters to help generate that growth and to, to match people up with opportunities to engage. And this did not exist in Europe or Asia or the Middle East in the early 2000s. So this was the backdrop for us at Latham when Esther Larden and PBI approached us to take on the first global pro bono survey around 2004-2005. Yeah, so I think that I think that the the project really plays into um, to some of Latham's key strengths. So we're obviously a, you know a global law firm. We've got offices in um, over twenty different jurisdictions, and so this project, you know, looking at different um, different countries and and the pro bono legal services that are provided within those countries um, matches really well to the sort of footprint and the the work that Latham does. And I think that. The, um, the framework of offices that we've got, um, you know, supports being able to do a piece of work like this where 
we're liaising a, a, you know, across borders, really. I think also the fact that we do such a large amount of pro bono work, it's clear that this sort of tool is really helpful to our pro bono clients and also to the people you know, who are looking to, um, to do work within the pro bono space. And so it was really clear from the start that um, it would be a very useful um, product to be involved in and also to, to, to refresh that um, earlier study from 2015. Um, the time seemed right um, to do that. It's definitely been quite a journey. When the first survey launched around 2005, it covered less than a dozen jurisdictions exclusively in Europe, primarily focusing on the places where Latham had offices or where we had qualified lawyers. In terms of the areas covered, uh, the early editions of the survey went into some detail about the legal systems and the regulation of lawyers in each country. It discussed government-funded legal aid versus pro bono. It highlighted clearinghouses and sources for pro bono projects where they existed, and also any regulatory restrictions on pro bono engagement. And over time, as we updated the survey and we released new additions, it expanded to cover jurisdictions in North and South America, in Europe, Asia, Africa, and we began partnering with a broad network of local counsel in these jurisdictions. And so the increased geographic coverage um, was, was definitely a positive development, as was the um, expansion of the local counsel network. But the one downside is that the survey actually grew a little bit unwieldy due to the varying levels of information um, that were available for, for the different jurisdictions and the relatively fluid format that we'd been using. So to address this, the team handling our 2015 update developed a new template to streamline the survey and uh, to promote greater consistency in the type of information that we were providing for each of the jurisdictions. And in that year, we also launched the microsite uh, to make information much more widely accessible. And I think Part of the driver here was the fact that, um, or just the recognition really, that no one other than our survey editors really reads the survey cover to cover in one sitting. And also the, <laughs> the reviewers at PBI, um, because it's hundreds of pages. And so most people come to it when they're looking for information on a specific country. And so the microsite is organized in a way that makes individual country chapters very easy to find and to download. Our newest edition, which just completed in 2020 is definitely our most radical revision to date with chapters further streamlined and pared down to follow a more consistent format that focuses on the topics of greatest interest to those that are, are really seeking to get oriented with the pro bono landscape in a new jurisdiction. And so the microsite has been updated with this new edition uh, as well, and it's available at lw.com gpbs. We sat down with PBI and, and thought about, you know, how we can make it more accessible. And I think that the 2015 survey had, a, you know, had a lot of information in there, but it was presented in a narrative format, and so it was perhaps quite heavy going for um, someone who picked it up and wanted to learn a bit more about pro bono legal services in a particular jurisdiction to to work through the chapter and pick out the really important parts that mattered to them. So what we were really interested in doing was taking that approach of lots of content from 2015, but upgrading the way we presented it. And so there was a fundamental overhaul with the aim of creating an accessible um, and standardized survey. And so readers will notice that each of the chapters starts with a you know a brief background, which kind of sets the context for the relevant jurisdiction. 
gives a little bit about the history of pro bono legal services in that country. And then each chapter runs through the same data points. And we use a tabular format and bullet points and shorter sentences to really try and convey the very key crucial piece of information. And then we link in um, external sources where relevant so that a reader who's interested and wants to find out a bit more can then follow that link and then you know find out more on their own terms about the, the relevant points. So I think that that's the kind of the key evolution is we're trying to convey the same amount of information, but in a much clearer way. And I think we've definitely achieved that. Um, and I think that it's um, it's more user-friendly as well. And I think that that means that when people are first using this resource and thinking about, okay, we're interested in a appropriate project in a different country, um, what do I need to know? They're not going to be put off by looking at a chapter that you know is quite dense, but instead they can kind of flick through to the relevant parts for them. With the goal of creating a standardized approach across jurisdictions to assist with quality control and the accessibility of the information, the 2019 update features data on the professional rules and regulations, pro bono practices and culture, obstacles to the provisions of pro bono legal services, and sources of pro bono opportunities and key contacts. The purpose of the, 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 the report is um, to enable um, in-house lawyers um, companies that are interested in providing pro bono legal services from within their um, legal departments, but also other, other law firms who perhaps don't have a history of providing uh, pro bono legal services to understand the different, um, the different rules and regulations that exist within different countries in terms of providing those pro bono legal services. So one of the key data points for us to look at was the different professional regulations in those countries, so the laws and rules that regulate the provision of legal services, but also pro bono legal services and whether there was any difference between those regulations. So for example, we're looking at um, licensure requirements um, that would govern the provision of legal services. I think also another sort of key set of data points that we looked at were the pro bono practices and cultures that already existed in those countries. So not only looking at the, the rules that govern the provision of legal services, but if that then broke down into a different set of rules for pro bono legal services. We also looked at whether or not there were any minimum pro bono hour requirements for lawyers. Um, it was quite interesting to see the, the differences between some countries where um, there was a real emphasis and sometimes mandatory um, pro bono hour requirements to many countries where actually it doesn't feature at all. So. I think it's quite helpful for readers of the report to understand where pro bono plays a large part of um, lawyers training and, and maintaining their um, status as lawyers, um, but also understanding sort of the different areas where um, pro bono legal services can be provided. And so that was another sort of key area. I think that probably the, the, the third area that we looked at and we really tried to explore were the different obstacles in the provision of pro bono legal services. So for example, where there were license requirements, which might mean that those who wanted to provide legal services in different countries would have to go through the sort of administrative loophole of, of getting that, that license in place before they could provide services. Um, whether or not there are any restrictions on foreign lawyers, which, which really came out, I think, as we were updating the report, and I think probably was also quite evident in the 2015 report, which might play into um, a reader's decision about whether or not to go into a certain country to start providing 
pro bono legal services and whether or not they would need um, locally trained lawyers to participate. Then also slightly more boring things like the requirement for insurance, which is obviously very important, and whether or not the provision of pro bono legal services would be captured within a firm's existing insurance policies or whether you know, a separate policy would be required for this sort of service. Um, and then we also looked at the sort of the rules around advertising pro bono work. There are some clear rules in the UK about what sort of advertising you do for legal services um, in terms of the, the work you can do, but also the, the work that you've done. And we wanted to be able to convey to the reader whether or not there were similar restrictions around advertising pro bono work. And then finally, um, the availability of CLE points, because um, that is often quite a key consideration for um, lawyers as to whether or not um, pro bono um, legal services are provided as part of, say, a law firm's offering or in-house counsel's um, pro bono projects. Um, and then the final area that we looked at was the source of pro bono opportunities and also key contacts. We really wanted the report to be interactive and, and useful in terms of taking that next step to provide pro bono legal services in different countries. So we tried to distill down the main sources of governmental and non-governmental pro bono legal services, and then also looked at the different public and private organizations um, with which a local or foreign lawyer could register in order to be made aware of pro bono opportunities. So there were, there were quite a number of data points. Um, but I think as we'll probably come on to speak, um, one of the key distinctions, um, one of the key distinctions between the 2015 report and the, the current report that is the way we've presented that information, which I think we've presented more information in a more accessible way. So hopefully that comes across when, when readers are looking at the report. Harry and Wendy have identified some notable developments in global pro bono over the years. There are three really clear developments in my mind. I think the first one is that there's an increased recognition um, of the importance of providing pro bono legal services. And I think that um, that's you know both from the perspective of working in a law firm where pro bono is given you know a very um, you know, center stage position within what we do as a firm, um, but also within wider society. It was interesting reading the background chapters for some of the different jurisdictions and, and understanding a little bit more about the context in which pro bono legal services are provided. And, you know, some countries have a very rich history of providing pro bono legal services and others don't, and they're at the start of that journey. And so it was interesting to see that across all of the different jurisdictions we looked at, one of the key things we noticed was that there was an increasing recognition of the importance of these legal services. I think, think the second thing that we noticed was that there was increased regulation for the pro bono legal services that we were interested in. And so I think previously what we might have noted was that pro bono was lumped within the wider legal services regulation, whereas now countries are starting to realize that there, are, there is a difference there and, and there's you know, a requirement for additional flexibility. And if you want to encourage people to provide pro bono legal services, then you do need different rules in some respects. But then equally, there are some areas where you need the protection of the existing regulation. And I think that there's obviously been a considered approach by a number of countries where they've tried to make it easier for law firms and for big corporates to provide pro bono legal services, but also in a, you know, in a, in a regulated way. And then I think the final point that we would note is just the increased coordination. And I think this project is probably a good example of that in terms of liaising with, you know, over 54 law firms, um, 
to to produce the project and and that network and coordination and and seeing that you know most countries now have you know centralized clearing houses that distribute the pro bono work to lawyers who are interested there are um there are ways for lawyers to um to register as well so that they can be notified of different opportunities and i think that that increased coordination is going to help standardize the quality of pro bono legal services um, so I think that's um, that's really positive, and, and I think those are probably the three key things which we would have noted about the evolution of pro bono over the years on this sort of global level. I don't think it's it's just a coincidence that a lot of the growth has occurred as so many U.S. law firms have pursued global expansion in the last 20 years, which I definitely think prompted accelerated growth in many countries. Which is not to say that that lawyers and, and law firms in Europe and elsewhere were not engaged in public interest work before them, because they were. It's just that it was less structured with few formalized pro bono programs, pro bono policies, or uh, goals or expectations. So that's definitely changed in the last decade. The other critical piece has been the expansion um, of global clearinghouses like PillNet and TrustLaw and A4ID and others who promote public interest work and have really made significant investments in sourcing and referring international pro bono matters to law firms uh, and in-house legal teams. The global survey itself, I think, uh, has also contributed to the growth, as many lawyers cite the lack of information as a really big uh, barrier to engagement, which the survey, I think, in its own way has sought to help address. We've also seen uh, really significant expansion of full-time pro bono professionals at law firms over the last decade, including those based in Europe, Australia, Asia, starting to see um, full-time pro bono professionals uh, at corporations with in-house teams. And the other interesting facet, I think, um, to the growth in pro bono is how it's understood and defined. If you go back a decade, there was really no consensus in most countries outside the United States regarding what qualified as pro bono. In many places, uh, the concept included all forms of legal and non-legal volunteerism. And so we've definitely seen a shift in recent years and, and how the understanding has evolved to the point where there's now a more consistent view and understanding that more closely aligns with the standards established by the Pro Bono Institute. After the update was done, I asked Harry and Wendy what they took away from the survey. So I think that it's quite hard to sort of distill down the sort of 84 different jurisdictions we looked at and, and come up with sort of, you know, single points which are kind of applicable across the different jurisdictions. But I think that one of the most striking things that we noticed was that whichever country we looked at, at whatever stage of development, there was a willingness to provide pro bono legal services and quite often in adverse circumstances, and that might mean um, the regulation wasn't there to help people provide pro bono services, or you know financially, it, you know it wasn't possible, or there were other obstacles in the way, which meant that it was tricky to you know provide those services. But despite all of that, in most jurisdictions we considered, there was at some stage of development a you know, a willingness to provide pro bono legal services. And I think that was, you know, that was really heartening to see. And, you know, in circumstances where perhaps it wasn't as possible to provide pro bono legal services, I think that, you know, there was a flexibility to try and work within the existing system, which meant that, you know, there was a foundation being set up 
to move to that next stage of, you know, better regulation or, or different regulation and for it to be seen as, you know, an important part of sitting alongside the sort of the more commercial law side. One thing that struck me, and, and I think it's important to to point out that, you know, speaking to the other lawyers in Latham who, who helped with the, the number of chapters that we produced, that everyone took something different from this project. So you would never speak to two different people involved in the project and they'd both say, oh, this was really interesting and it'd be the same point. I think the thing that, that struck me the most was that in countries where you might think that there would be, um, you know, a lot of pro bono being provided, um, for example, in Scandinavian countries, you would actually find that the concept almost didn't exist. And that was really because um, the legal system that had developed there had almost um, developed with the concept of um, legal aid for everyone. And so there was no requirement for there to be pro bono legal services because nobody needed it. The state effectively captured everybody within the legal aid system if they required it. Um, and I think that that was probably the most surprising thing to me. In terms of looking at the difference between the 2015 and 2019 um, survey, I think one of the sort of key areas which which gave us hope and that we saw was encouraging was that um, you know in, in the Middle East we saw you know that there were some significant advancements in terms of the availability of pro bono legal services. Um, you'll note from the survey this year that. We cover a lot more countries within the Middle East. So we also have Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Kuwait. Uh, we cover Bahrain. Um, and then also in North Africa, we have Egypt. So we looked at more jurisdictions in this area. And, and what we found also looking at the chapters we did previously was that, um, you know, things are moving in the right direction and pro bono legal services are more accessible. Um, lawyers are more willing to engage in those services. Um, and, and overall, that you know, that's having you know a positive impact in terms of the people who have access to to um, legal advice. But what comes next for Global Pro Bono? Harry and Wendy both identified technology as something that will play an increasingly important role in improving access to legal services. I don't know that it, anybody would have necessarily predicted the. Um, amazing and exponential growth we've seen in global pro bono um, over the last um, decade or so. But in the next five or ten years, I think one of the big changes we may see are just efforts to improve and streamline the systems for communicating pro bono needs and opportunities to lawyers that want to do pro bono work. I think the ways in which pro bono needs and the supply of pro bono matters, the way that, that these opportunities are matched with attorney capacity and expertise are generally pretty inefficient and imperfect, whether the opportunities are communicated by email or through um, listservs or individualized outreach by legal service organizations, and developing more streamlined approaches to reach the right lawyers at the right time with the right opportunities has really just been very elusive. And so it's been exciting to see uh, new platforms emerge that are seeking to tackle this issue. And it definitely is still early days. I don't think the technology is, is, is there just yet. But as, uh, as it continues to develop and systems continue to improve, I think it will bring with it the potential for greater efficiencies in the matching up and allocation of pro bono opportunities 
in jurisdictions where pro bono is very developed, like in the United States, but it will also bring with it the opportunity really to scale and increase pro bono engagement across jurisdictions. And so I think that that's the development that I really have my eye on to see how that develops and evolves um, in, in the coming years. What we'll probably see is an increasing role of technology. I think that we, you know, we've seen it in a number of other areas and we're seeing it increasingly in the provision of legal services. And I see absolutely no reason why technology won't improve access to pro bono legal services. And I think that you know, one of the, the key obstacles at the moment, um, which stops a lot of people um, providing pro bono legal services is probably around cost um, and access and time. And these are all things which technology can deal with. So if you can, you know, if you can access a pro bono case, you know, on a tablet, if you can read supporting documents, you know, via the internet, and then if you can also provide the pro bono legal advice, say via Skype or via, you know, a web link, you know, suddenly it doesn't matter if you're 150 miles or 200 miles away from your pro bono client. Um, it doesn't matter if you're 100 miles away from the the legal library. Um, so I think that technology will really open up um, pro bono to people who can provide the services, but also to the clients who really need the services. And so I think as we've seen technology become more ubiquitous in the jurisdictions that we've looked at, I think also a following trend will be that there'll be increased access to pro bono legal services via that technology. Thank you to Harry and Wendy for their time and expertise. You can view the full survey at lw.com gpbs. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.